Thank you, Pastor Jason and singers, musicians. Thank you for the beautiful singing. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17. And then move over to chapter 18. We finished chapter 17 last week. By the way, this past week was VBS. Boy, was it exciting and uh, was it uh, wonderful. And we want to say thank you to all of you who served. If you served in, in any way at all, in Bible school this past week, cleaning up, setting up, or uh, here helping with anything. Would you stand just for, a, just for a moment? We want to say thank you to all of you who did. Thank you so much. God bless you. Amen. I always say, you don't look quite as good as you did last Sunday. You look a little tireder and a little worn out, so try to get a little extra... The rest may be this coming week. By the way, we had 15 professions of faith. So thank you to all you who prayed as well. Yeah, amen. Uh, and so we're very grateful. Chapter 18. Chapter 18 is, begins those three chapters that are so prominent in the Word of God. Chapters 18, 19, and 20. The arrest, trial, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. These, these three chapters are the pinnacle of Holy Scripture. They're also the centerpiece of human history. These three chapters... All of the Word of God from the Garden of Eden, all of the Word of God up to these three chapters is just bringing us to those three chapters. All the rest of the Bible written afterwards was explaining these three chapters, expounding these three chapters. In Luke twenty-two fifty-three, Jesus said, It is time... For the power of darkness as he enters into these. And so, in these first two chapters, we see the power of darkness. The darkness of man's sin and evil. But overshadowing all of that is God's great love and mercy and kindness to sinners like us. It is to these three great chapters now we embark the pinnacle of Holy Scripture. Let's read the first two verses there and then keep your Bibles open. When Jesus had spoken these words, when he had spoken the prayer of chapter 17, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted there with his disciples. Father, thank you for this, your eternal word that is in front of us. Thank you for these three chapters that changes all humanity. And we pray you'd speak to us now as we enter into this holy place. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 
there was a man by the name of Bob Waiton. Last year in March, he was declared the world's oldest man. He was 112 years old. And he was still witty, had all of his faculties. He was very knowledgeable. And he laughed a lot. He enjoyed life. He was 112 years old. He only carried that title for two months, for in May of last year, he went to be with the Lord. He was a believer and uh, served at as one time as a missionary teacher in Taiwan and uh, lived a full <laughs> and long and fruitful life. He often was asked what was the secret of his longevity and he would say he didn't know and laugh a little bit and, uh, and then maybe say something cute like one of his answers was to avoid death. That was the best way to live a long time, just avoid death. Uh, he said laughter played a great part in that as well. When talking about difficult situations, he said, when there's nothing you can do about it, then let it go. Do what you can do. That's the um, wisdom of 112 years. These three chapters made it possible for Bob to live a life of peace and then to die in peace. He died at 112. He died peacefully in his own bed. These three chapters made it possible that Bob could live his life without fear. Fear of living or fear of dying. He didn't have to worry about either one. It is these three chapters that make life worth living and death worth dying. Now we start with this moving into the Valley of Kidron. And uh, let me uh, give you a little outline of this chapter just quickly. If you look back at your screen, we see in the first 11 verses the arrest of Jesus. And then we see the religious trial or hearing. We might call these things hearings today. There was actually six, six trials or hearings. Uh, three of them were religious and three of them were uh, civil. But in this chapter, we only see three. We don't see all six. I'll, I'll show you a chart of that next week, I'm planning. And, and then thirdly is the civil trial or hearing, and that spills over into chapter 19. And so it falls into these three natural divisions, this great chapter. Now, if you come back to verse 1... When Jesus had finished his prayer, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, sometimes called the Kidron Valley, uh, the Kidron Brook. It actually was not a, a spring fed. It was a, uh, it was a ravine, a huge ravine. And uh, it, it carried off rainwater. So most of the year... The, the uh, bed was rather dry. 
But when the rainy seasons came, there was a lot of water running through this brook Kidron. One day, according to Zechariah and Ezekiel both, in the millennial kingdom, this uh, Kidron Valley is going to be full of water from a source that is unknown. That's yet future. Uh, to give you an idea of, of the, uh, the, uh, what that would look like, here I'll show you my map. I know you can't read those. I don't intend for you to read any of that. But I'm going to show you some big shapes. My black line now is going around the city of Jerusalem. The yellow line is going around the temple area. Now the blue line is going around the Mount of Olives. The Kidron Valley runs between, oh, and, and there's the Garden of Gethsemane on the western slope of the Mount of Olives. And the ravine runs right here between the city and the Mount of Olives. To try to give you a little bit of perspective on distance, if you built a bridge from the middle of the temple area where the yellow circle is, and you built a bridge right over to the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, where the arrow is, it would be about 600 yards, about six football fields. Now from the Temple Mount, the valley drops 200 feet though. I mean, there is no bridge. You can't go like the, like the crow flies, as the old saying is. You have to go down into the ravine and back up. Um, the Mount of Olives is 450 feet above that uh, uh, ravine. And so that gives you a little bit of an idea of the, of the geographical and um, movements that they're taking uh, in this passage. And then they go to a garden. It says, he entered into a garden into which he entered with his disciples. Verse 2 tells us he went there often. Now we know from the other Gospels that this is the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden of Gethsemane is still there today, and you can visit it when you visit the Holy Land. Karen and I had that privilege back, I don't know, eight years ago, I guess. And uh, it looks like this. It's still a beautiful garden with olive trees. And the olive trees are very old, as you, can, you might get the idea by looking at them. As they get older, they don't get taller, they just get bigger around. And uh, here's one of the big ones. Uh, scientists tell us that the trees, that the oldest tree there is about 900 years old. Now, different scientists differ on how old they might be. Some people have said there may be some in there as old as the time of Christ, 2,000 years. There is an olive tree in uh, Greece that... Uh, uh, is 2,000 years old, the scientists believe. And some people speculate there might be here. But scientifically, it can be verified they're 900 years old. So there's where they entered into this beautiful garden. And it begins this, this power of darkness and the sinfulness of man's heart. And so we come to verse 2. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. 
So while Jesus has been teaching his disciples these intimate messages of chapters 13 through 17, Judas has been doing his bargaining and uh, carrying out his plan, and he has a group of soldiers now with him, and uh, he travels in front of those soldiers. Verse 3 says, Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priest and Pharisees, cometh thither, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, here comes a, a crowd of soldiers. There's Roman soldiers, that would be the band. Then there's officers uh, from the uh, Jewish leaders. This would be like the temple police. These would be like religious police, Jewish police. And uh, they've come together, Judas leading the way to uh, arrest Jesus. Now, how many soldiers was there? Matthew said it was a great multitude. Mark said it was a great multitude. And uh, Luke said it was a multitude. But John's more specific. He uses the word band. Look at it again in verse 3. He had a band of men. Now, a band was an official term for a cohort. A cohort was one-tenth of a legion. So bear with me for a minute. A legion in the Roman army was from 3,000 to 6,000. So a cohort, or a band as it's called here, was a tenth of that. So we're talking about 300 to 600 soldiers. No wonder Matthew and Mark said it was a great multitude. Can you imagine on this dark night and on these paths and roads, uh, 600 men marching? Let's, let's take the smaller number, 300 men. 300 men coming to capture the Lord Jesus. Why do you think they sent so many? Well, they, of course, thought he was leading an insurrection. And many times he spoke to great crowds. They probably were afraid that he might have a great crowd with him, and that great crowd might turn on just a handful of soldiers. So they have this great multitude of three to 600 men. That's besides the temple guards. Uh, they came into the garden. By the way, John skips, as you may have already noticed, John skips the prayer in the garden. He tells us in great detail about the prayer leading up to the garden in chapter 17. But the other three Gospels record for us, of course, that Jesus, when he got to the garden, he left some of his disciples over here. He took three, Peter, James, and John, with him a little further. He left them in a spot. Then he went a little further and prayed himself, and he was in great agony. That had already taken place when, uh, uh, when verse 3 starts when Judas brings his band of men. Look at verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? You remember John's theme of his book is the deity of Christ. He emphasizes this 
again, he says, Jesus knowing all things. He was not taken by surprise. He had said in his prayer in chapter 17 that my time has come. The hour has come. The hour for which he came into the world and that was that he might die for the sins of the world. And so uh, he knew all things. Even though it might appear the, uh, his enemies finally were gaining control, they really were not. Remember Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. He said, no man taketh my life from me. And so he knew all things that was going to happen. So he steps up in front of his disciples and said, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. Now, you know, in the King James, words that are added so that we can read it better are in italics. So if you have a King James Version, I don't know if that computes to our screen or not. Let me see. Does it? No, it doesn't. There's no italics on our screen. But if you have a printed Bible in your hand, the word he will be in italics so that it will read better. But what he literally said was, I am. I am. Again, claiming and proclaiming his deity he was one with God the Father. He was the one in the burning bush that said, I am, and gave that name to the people of Israel. And here he says to this crowd, he's not intimidated in the least. He said, who are you coming after? Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And when he says, I am, he demonstrates the power of his deity. Notice the next verse. Then, uh, verse 6. As soon as they had, as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Can you imagine that? Maybe it was 300. Maybe some of that 300 had been left down the hill in case they were needed. Maybe there was only 150 there. I don't know. Maybe the whole 600 was there. But it was a great multitude. And this whole multitude, with all their training and all of their bravery and all of their skill and all of their weapons, they were pushed backward and fell to the ground. Jesus demonstrated again his deity, his omnipotence, his omniscience. In the verse before, he knew all things. Now his omnipotence, his great power. He has power over all things. Now in a video that we're going to watch today, I don't think they did this as well as they should have. It, they show the people going back, and then the screen cuts back to Jesus, and then it cuts back to the people, and it looks like maybe they're getting up off the ground a little bit, straightening themselves up. I wish they had shown it in a more clear way, pushed back and falling to the ground, because they didn't just stumble. 
the words cannot be translated any other way. They fell all the way to the ground. This whole mob. You see, Jesus wanted them to know he was going willingly. He was going for our sins, not because he was overpowered by Rome. And then, then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you and I, that I am he. Again, I am. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. Referring to his disciples that were with him. He asked them this twice. He was emphasizing that you're after me. Just me. Let my disciples go. Now it was at this point, though John does not record it, it was at this point that Judas kisses Jesus. Probably a kiss on the cheek. It was common to kiss a loved one on the cheek. I mean, it was common to kiss a rabbi. If it was your rabbi, it was common to kiss your rabbi on the cheek as a, as a uh, sign of affection and respect and regard. Now, why Judas would have done it at this point doesn't make a lot of sense because Jesus has already identified himself. But it would have been easy for someone in that day to have said, I'm Jesus, and it really wasn't Jesus. There could have been a deception going on. They might have arrested the wrong person. So they had a plan. Judas knew Jesus well. He'd lived with him for three years. So Judas said, the one that I kiss, that's the one, take him and arrest him. So at this point, Judas kisses Jesus. And Jesus says, friend, he calls him a friend. He said, my friend, you betray the Son of Man with a kiss. This is treachery at its deepest. And so, Judas, as it's been said many times, kisses the door of heaven and turns and goes to hell without hope. Maybe it was the Judas kissing Jesus that incited Peter. I mean... Remember, they're, they're seeing that Peter is a traitor for the first time. Peter, that Judas is a traitor for the first time. Peter can't believe his eyes. And now he betrays Jesus with a kiss. And so, uh, <laughs> Peter goes into fight mode. And he draws out his sword. Probably a short sword. Um, not one of the long ones like the Romans would carry. Romans carried a short sword and a long sword. Uh, look, let's pick it up in verse uh, 9. Now, he, it, that the saying might be fulfilled. That is, he said, you're after me, not my disciples. Let them go. Uh, and that saying was, of them which thou gavest me, I have lost none. So now... Judas kisses Jesus. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So he cuts off a man's ear. How do you cut off a man's ear with a sword? That'd be pretty hard, wouldn't it? 
I mean, if you come down on a person like here, you're going to go more, do more damage than an ear. You're going to get into the shoulder probably. Most scholars speculate that he was trying to cut off this man's head. So think of it like this. He was swinging the sword. The sword was coming around towards this guy, and this guy tries to get out of the way of the sword, and so the sword catches his ear and takes it off. And uh, he cuts Marcus's ear off. Look at 11. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up your sword into its sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? The disciples were still clueless about the blood atonement. Jesus said, This cup the fathers give me, cup represents a... A, a, a suffering, a, uh, uh, a, a job. And this was the suffering and the job the Father had given him. Shall I not drink this cup? Now, Luke tells us at this same time, he also says to Peter, Don't you know that I could call twelve legions of angels? I mean, he's saying, Peter... Think about it. I just said I am, and the whole group fell down. And now you're, you're going to try to protect me? Don't you know I could call 12 legions of, anim, uh, of angels? Again, a legion is 6,000, and so you have maybe 72,000 angels that are on their tiptoes up in heaven just waiting for the Lord to give the word. And so they arrest him. Look at verse 12. And I have to move quickly now. Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to uh, Annas first, for he was the father, the father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest the same year. So they go to Annas's house, Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the high priest. Now, Caiaphas, 14, was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. You remember earlier in, in our study, we saw where Caiaphas said, it is, it is better for one person to die for the people. Now, he wasn't speaking about a blood atonement. He was talking about better that we kill Jesus than, than let him cause an uproar in our nation. But he spoke without realizing it a prophetic word that Jesus was dying for mankind. And so uh, verse 15 says, And Simon Peter, Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, the disciple, that disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the place of the high priest. So they all fled, all of them, we're told in the other Gospels. But then Peter and John come back and they follow, as, as it says in Luke, afar off. And then once they've got Jesus inside this compound... They, uh, they go, and John goes in, and Peter has to wait by the door. That's where we pick it up. Look at verse 16. But Peter stood at the 
door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought Peter in. Then said the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art, uh, art not thou also one of this man's disciples? Aren't you one of his followers, disciples? And he saith, I am not. No. You remember Jesus told him, you're going to de deny me three times before the rooster crows. And here's the first. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest, uh, the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. So while this is going on in the courtyard, Jesus is in a hearing inside this facility. And so Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I even taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whether the Jews always resorted, that is, where the Jews always resorted, where they gathered. And in secret have I said nothing. So he says, my doctrine is known. I preached it openly. So in verse 21 he says, Why ask thou me? Ask them that heard me what I have said unto uh, them. Behold, they know what I've said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? And Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil or wrong, bear witness of that wrong or evil. But if well, why spitest thou me? Why do you hit me? Now, several things are going on here. One is, in the Jewish law, people were supposed to be considered innocent till proven guilty. And you were never supposed to try to cause a person to self-incriminate themselves. And you were not supposed to have a hearing with someone unless you have witnesses that have already beforehand testified to a crime. So Jesus, you see now, Jesus is simply applying their own law. Why are you asking me? Where's your witnesses? People heard me. Do you have witnesses about what I said? And then it is also against the law to strike a person who is not yet been found guilty of anything. But Jesus is struck. And the reason he is hit is because he insulted the high priest. But if you remember, Annas is not the high priest. He's the father-in-law of the high priest. Now, Annas used to be the high priest. Under Jewish law, the high priest remained the high priest all of his life. But when Rome took over, they didn't want anybody having that kind of power for a long period of time, so they appointed a high priest. Annas had been the high priest. He had several sons. They had been the high priest. And now his son-in-law, Caiaphas, was the high priest. And so this man was not even the high priest. Verse 24, Now Annas 
had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said, Therefore unto him, Art thou, uh, art not thou also one of his disciples? Now this, this question comes from a, a girl as well, a servant girl or a lady. And, uh, but here it doesn't mention that, but it uses the, uh, the term they. So it's more than one. So apparently what happened was, again, one of the girls mentioned that aren't you one of his disciples and the other people gathered around the fire so that it was a they they were asking yeah, yeah aren't you one of his disciples and so it went something like that they were asking we see in, uh, in John here and he denied it and said I am not don't you know that broke the Lord's heart even though he knew it was coming, it broke his heart. I don't know him. I don't know him. Don't you think our sin breaks his heart as well? Whatever it is, denying maybe we know him at work or in certain situations where we think we'll fit in better if people don't know we belong to Christ. And so he denied it again. Look at verse 26. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off. And so now you've got a man who apparently was in the garden when Jesus was arrested, and it was his kinfolk that had his ear cut off. And so he says, uh, this guy says, Did not I see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew, or the rooster crowed. Now the other Gospels tell us, when you put them all together, the other Gospels tell us that not only on this third time did he deny Jesus, but he emphasized it with swearing and cursing. Now, in our everyday vocabulary, swearing and cursing would mean profanity. It would mean uh, maybe blasphemy and so forth. That's not the idea here. The idea in the other three Gospels is that he swore. The swearing was he swore he didn't know Jesus. And the cursing was he, he swore with the idea that he would be cursed if he was lying. It was common practice in that day to say I'm telling you the truth and if not may a curse be upon me or something along that line and so when, Jude, when Peter denied Jesus this third time he swore to it and, uh, and then it says the rooster crowed we're also told that Jesus looked at him now I don't know we don't know how that happened because Jesus is in the inside. Maybe Jesus was standing next to a window and turned and looked at Peter right when Peter did this. Or maybe he was being transported from uh, 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 one, one of the uh, Annas to Caiaphas. Maybe he was a, he, they were between buildings and there was a corridor there and Jesus turned and looked at Peter. But in some way, Jesus saw Peter, and Peter saw that Jesus saw him. And then he went out and wept bitterly. Now, none of us would condone 
Peter's sin. But we can see that he had genuine repentance. He went out and wept bitterly. Wouldn't it be something in our day if God's people, when we sinned and disappointed the Lord, instead of just, you know, going about our way and thinking there's not much to it, if we wept bitterly and there was genuine repentance when we sinned. Some people have trouble with certain sins. Some people have trouble with anger, and it's reoccurring. Like, uh, though this only happened three times, it was reoccurring in the sense it, it gave us an example of something reoccurring. Some people have trouble with, with other sin, like dishonesty or pornography, and on and on the list would go. We should repent with tears. So it was with, with Peter here. Now we're going to watch the little video. This, it's five minutes long. It's a little longer today. But it covers these verses we, we just looked at. So it may have looked something like this. Let's watch it together. After Jesus had said this prayer, he left with his disciples and went across Kidron Brook. There was a garden in that place, and Jesus and his disciples went in. Judas, the traitor, knew where it was, because many times Jesus had met there with his disciples. So Judas went to the garden, taking with him a group of Roman soldiers and some temple guards sent by the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were armed and carried lanterns and torches. Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward and asked them, Who is it you are looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. Judas the traitor was standing there with them when Jesus said to them, I am he. They moved back and fell to the ground. Again, Jesus asked them, who is it you are looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I have already told you that I am he. If then you are looking for me. Let these others go. He said this so that what he had said might come true. Father, I have not lost even one of those you gave me. Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave, cutting off his right ear. The name of the slave was Malchus. Put your sword back in its place. Do you think that I will not drink the cup of suffering which my father has given me? 
then the Roman soldiers with their commanding officer and the Jewish guards arrested Jesus, tied him up, and took him first to Annas. He was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jewish authorities that it was better that one man should die for all the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. That other disciple was well known to the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest's house, while Peter stayed outside by the gate. Then the other disciple went back out, spoke to the girl at the gate, and brought Peter inside. Aren't you also one of the disciples of that man? No. I'm not. It was cold, so the servants and guards had built a charcoal fire and were standing around it, warming themselves. So Peter went over and stood with them, warming himself. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have always spoken publicly to everyone. All my teaching was done in the synagogues and in the temple where all the people come together. I have never said anything in secret. Why then do you question me? Question the people who heard me, ask them what I told them. They know what I said. How dare you talk like that to the high priest? If I have said anything wrong, Tell everyone here what it was. But if I am right in what I have said, why do you hate me? Then Annas sent him, still tied up, to Caiaphas, the high priest. Peter was still standing there, keeping himself warm. So the others said to him, aren't you also one of the disciples of that man? No, I am not. Peter denied it. One of the high priest's slaves, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, spoke up. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? No. And at once, a rooster crowed. Something like that. By the way, I failed to mention that Luke tells us that Jesus healed the ear, Malchus's ear. I assume he picks it up off the ground and puts it back on the side of his head, and when he moves his hand, it looks just like new. If not, there may have been four crosses, because Peter would have probably been arrested and uh, sentenced and maybe even crucified for this crime against this group of Roman soldiers. Has the rooster crowed for you lately? Let's bow our heads together for just a minute. 
don't raise your hand, but just in your own heart, what sin is the Lord pointing out to you that you have committed? Like Peter. The sin itself may be extremely different, but you know in your heart the Spirit is speaking. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for this wonderful passage. You know our hearts, and just like Peter, we have good intentions, but sometimes we fall terribly short. Help us to take our sins seriously as Peter did. And weep in sorrow and repentance. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, please. We're going to sing a verse of invitation hymn. If you'd like to come for prayer, we invite you to come as we sing. so much. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Pastor Jason's coming.